Welcome to another episode of the Ambitious Legacy Podcast. I'm your host, Sabine, the Purpose Lawyer. Thank you for listening and thank you for helping me be on purpose. So guys, today is just me and you. I wanted to kind of go through um, one of the most frequently asked questions that I get regarding trust and estate. So you guys know this is, uh, we talk here about legacy. We talk about protecting your assets and we talk about, you know, all the different ways that you can and should and all the things that are involved with that. And so um, one of the main topics in, in asset protection is trust. Why? Because it's a really versatile tool that allows you to have a lot of control over your assets. It allows you to put a plan in place to make sure that, you know, your loved ones are protected if uh, something were to happen to you unexpectedly, uh, which happens all the time. And so it's one of the tools that we use, not perfect for everybody. And it's not that everyone must have one, but most people with a significant amount of assets, I say at least over 100K, um, usually some real estate, should consider whether a trust is right for them. You know, like those doctor commercials where they say, talk to your doctor about this medication. So that's the thing. Talk to your legal professional about whether it's right for you. But I kind of wanted to get into what it is because a lot of people find it sort of mysterious. Like, I don't understand really, like, what is a trust? How does it actually work? And so I wanted to kind of um, dissect that a little bit. And so high level, which I've said before, trust is like a contract. It's a contract between the person who creates it, their trustee, which could be the same person in certain circumstances, and the beneficiary. So it's really for the benefit of the beneficiary. So the beneficiary is whoever is going to benefit from their assets, from their you know cash, real estate, stock accounts, all that good stuff. Um, that's who your beneficiary is. And you have the flexibility to pick and choose whomever you want. And that's the you know, really beautiful thing about planning is that you get to decide and you get to have your say and your assets go exactly how you want them to go. And um, the bigger uh, overarching thing here is that we all are here to sort of make a mark on this world. And I don't want to sound all woo woo on you, but like, it's really true. <laughs> Why? Because I said it. Um, it's true. You know, we're here for a purpose. Everyone has their own purpose and it should be more than just living your life for the here and now. But um, think about how beneficial your life is or the things that you have benefited for in your life because someone else was here and because someone else paved the way for you. So we should just be thinking about preservation and passing on and creating and leaving that legacy that we are here to create. So let's get into talking about trust, right? So what I told you what a trust is. And, you know, a lot of times people ask me, you know, can I do a trust on my own? Can I just do a DIY? Or like, you know, they want to know how come there's like a higher cost when it comes to creating a, a trust versus a will. And so a trust can be very technical because of the fact that what you're doing is you're giving this document or you're transferring to the trustee of the document all of the rights that you essentially have over your assets. So the rights that you have to your accounts, the rights that you have to your property, you know, the rights that you have to everything that you essentially own. So we want to make sure that it's clear. We want to make sure that, you know, it has all of the language that's necessary to do that. And not only that, because it's similar to a contract or it's considered a contract under the law, 
if there are things in there that's vague, right? It's not clear. Um, no one kind of understands what was meant. And there's just things, there's, if there's a, like a lot of gray area, it can actually cause your trust to be brought into court, right? So the whole purpose of really doing a trust and um, I would say one of the purposes, right, of really doing a trust is to avoid what we call probate. And probate is where your estate has to go through the court system and the judge gets to basically make decisions about your estate in terms of, you know, what did you mean? Who did you want your assets to go through? What would you have intended? And that's what we really don't want because most of the time the judges don't understand the dynamics of all of our families, right? They don't understand, you know, who's who. They just assume uh, that you would want your siblings or your parents or, you know, if there's no one else, your children, whatever the case is, they just assume that's who you would want. But many of us have different uh, either views on life. Maybe we want to, you know, um, maybe we have a best friend or a niece or nephew or maybe we want to bless a charity, you know, whatever it is. We each are unique individuals. We, ha we each have a different legacy to leave and we each get to decide what that is. So you don't want to kind of leave it up to a cookie cutter you know, the court gets to decide. So that's one. And so um, so that's the whole point of us doing a trust is to sort of avoid that court system. Another reason why we want to avoid the court system is because it costs money. Um, it causes a delay if somebody's there um, waiting to benefit from your estate, like a child or somebody who's really dependent. It's going to be a delay. It's going to, you know, take away from the value of your estate. And it's public. So all of your family's business is out there. Right. OK. But I've said these things before. So that's that's one of the reasons um, why we want to avoid the court system. And so when a contract I was talking about, I was talking about if the trust is vague, if it's not clear. Um, when a contract is not clear, then then the only way to make it clear is to have a judge to determine what did you mean? You know, what was what was trying to be said here? And so that leaves, you know, room for interpretation. And then that leaves room for your wishes to be changed. And we don't want that. We want things to go exactly how you decided. So I had like, a, I brought a prop today. So I brought a trust that we have drafted in my office. And just so you could see like how many pages this trust is, like this is actually a very simple trust for one of our clients. Um, and it's just like shy of 100 pages. And the reason for that is because we don't want you to hire an attorney, go through the trouble of putting all of your uh, wishes together and listing all of your assets and coming up with a plan just to be back at square one, right? So we try to be as thorough as possible and you want to make sure that, you know, you are working with an, an attorney or professional who kind of has that mindset. We want to make things as um, thorough as possible. There are certain areas of the law that you can DIY, right? There are certain areas of the law that can be like automated and cut and paste. And, you know, even though we do use like uh, software to help us so that we're not writing every single word, it takes a lot of time to analyze and make sure, well, if this happens, then what's going to happen here? Or if we draft it this way, we use this language, is it going to have the outcome that the client wants? Like, you know, because everybody's life is different and there's different dynamics. So so it really takes a lot of time and skill to really put these things together. So what I wanted to actually get into now that you have that framework is, you know, what exactly is in a trust and how does that sort of help me or protect me? So I'm going to go through some of the clauses. Obviously, I can't tell you every single thing. 
because we don't have enough time <laughs> and you don't want to hear it either. So, um, but I want to give you some of the high level things that are in the trust so that you kind of know, like, what is it, what is all this language talking about? So one of the first um, sections is the name of the trust, obviously, right? So we have to name the trust something. And typically, you know, you have the flexibility to name the trust pretty much anything you want. Uh, we try to give some framework because it makes it kind of easier for uh, people to understand. Like, say you need to, your trust needs to do a transaction with a bank or with a lender or, um, you know, anything like that. Maybe it needs to do a real estate transaction or, or anything that a trust needs, any business a trust needs to sort of conduct. Um, we kind of want to streamline it a bit because we don't want it to just be something crazy like um, Jim and Joe's Deli. Like, obviously, it's like, what? That's a trust. <laughs> you don't want it. You don't want it to be that. So we'll typically have you like say it's a living trust, which is a, a typical type of, you know, run of the mill trust that almost everybody's plan is going to include, even if they have an advanced, um, sophisticated plan they might still include a living trust or a revocable trust, right? This is the type of trust that you put in place, that you can change. You have the flexibility within this trust to, you know, um, make decisions, change your mind, you know, add assets, remove assets, all that kind of fun stuff. Typically, it's going to be, you know, whatever you want to name it, followed by living trust, right? And that's, like I said, just to sort of make sure that it's streamlined. The law doesn't really say that you have to, you know, stick to that. But um, in order to make it easier for uh, running the trust and logistics, you want to kind of have it, you know, form, form that way. So, you know, you could name it anything you want. Most people, just because they're like, I'm not creative. I don't know what I want to name this trust. Most people will go with their last name. Um, I typically don't recommend first and last name because even though a revocable trust or living trust does not give you um, anonymity, right? It doesn't necessarily protect your identity. Um, whatever anonymity you do have, you're kind of just like giving that all away when you use your whole full name. So um, that's just one, you know, tip to, to not necessarily name it that. However, you do have that flexibility uh, to name it whatever you want. So you can get creative there. And what's going to happen is the name of the trust is going to also be on the, on the name of any of your assets that you end up putting in the trust. And we're going to actually, we could talk about funding now. And so how that works is that in order for your trust to be able to control the assets that you put in the trust, your trust has to own them, right? Just like you, you can only control what you own and you have authority over. So if your trust needs to own these assets, so say for instance, your bank accounts, you want to make sure that the trust is uh, named on your account. Um, or the trust is a beneficiary of your account. Some institutions have accounts that allow you to make your uh, trust the beneficiary, which means if you pass away, the trust then gets the assets and the trust could do whatever um, whatever you know rules are inside of the trust that it says that it could do. Um, or you retitle the account in the name of the trust, meaning instead of saying, you know, um, Sabine Franco's, you know, uh, account, it's going to say, to be Franco's trust account, right? Something like that, whatever your trust name is. And so that now gives your trust control to be able to do what it needs to do with these assets. So all of these rules and things that I'm going to talk to you about that the trust says, those rules and directions will be control will be controlling those assets, right? And that's what we call funding the trust. Your trust is not alive until your trust actually owns something. 
So once you sign it, we fund it immediately with some sort of asset, even if it's something small, something nominal, to make sure that your trust actually owns something. And now, you know, it is a living, breathing um, document. And it's funny to say it that way, but really that's how it is. That's how it is um, under the law. Sort of like how, you know, we say you have a business entity and really it only lives on paper, uh, but it's a business. It's a thing, right? Uh, because the law says so. <laughs> and that's basically how it is. So beyond the name of the trust, the other things that the trust will state, it will say, what are the powers that the person who created the trust, what powers do you have? So now that you've created this document, you've given it all these instructions, um, now what's your authority? <laughs> you know, What powers do you have as the creator of the trust? So typically the person who creates the trust, um, if it's a revocable trust, has the power to revoke that trust. What does that mean? To change it, to get rid of it, terminate it. Um, you know, whatever it is that you'd like to do, you have that power. You can revoke it and then it no longer exists. You can change your mind about everything, remove all the assets and go on with your life. Typically, that comes into play when you have maybe like a divorce or a situation where, um, you know, you really want to completely redo your your estate plan. And I did a whole video about uh, when you get divorced and you want to sort of undo your um, estate plan. So you can take a look at that. Um, so the other thing that the creator has is the power to amend the trust. You can make changes. You can, like I said, you could change your beneficiaries. You could change the assets. You could change how much of what you want to go to whom, <laughs> you know, you can add beneficiaries. So that's the power to amend, right? Um, you also get to control the assets, right? So for instance, your primary residence, you have the right to continue to live in that. So if you're not the trustee of your trust, which the trustee is the person who's managing the trust, if you're not the trustee, then you are um, the only person who gets to live in your house and, you know, uh, wear your clothes and your jewelry and things of like that, things of that nature. Your successor trustee does not have those powers, but they can, you know, they can um, control those assets according to what the trust says. Um, and you as the trustee will be able to decide, you know, what sort of investments you'd like to do within the trust. Now, there's a lot of talk about, um, you know, you need to have a trust that allows for um, your your assets to be invested so that it can continue to grow for your um, for your heirs, you know, grow in the stock market, you know, experience compound interest, et cetera. So fun fact, all trusts really are supposed to be conducted in that way. Why? Because it is the responsibility of the trustee to make sure that the trust is profitable, to make sure that the trust is productive. So if a trustee has, say, 100K, 100K in a trust account and um, it is just sitting in cash, then that trustee is not really making sure that that trust is being profitable, right? Because that's not the best way for that trust to grow. That's not the best way for those funds to benefit the beneficiary. So now when you create the trust and you're the trustee, you don't really have that um, responsibility per se because you are the creator, but any successor trustee is going to be held liable for not ensuring that these trust funds are being productive. So yes, they do have to make sure that they're growing and they do have to make sure that they're invested. And I would just caution on not making it so restrictive. Like some people say, I just want it invested in the S&P 500 and I want to make sure well, that's great now. Well, maybe not literally now because <laughs> the stock market is way down right now. But um, 
you know, uh, the S&P 500 may not be the best uh, investment vehicle when the time comes, right? When you're either no longer here or when, you know, your um, your successor trustee is managing the trust. So we want, we like to make it more flexible in the sense that, yeah, we want it to, we could say that we want it to be invested in a particular thing, but we want to have some flexibility with that. So if that's not the best vehicle that you can take advantage of other vehicles, like for instance, we don't know where crypto is going. You know, there's a lot of speculation about that. It's a new thing, though. So, you know, it may be the best investment vehicle one day and you don't want to have to now be stuck in stocks because that's what your trust said. Right. So this is the type of things that we think about as attorneys to make sure that you're not we're not drafting something for you that's too rigid, that's that's um, not keeping in mind the things that you that you're not thinking about because you're not, you know, <laughs> you're not the professional. So we understand that. And we're here to basically make sure that um, you're protected. So you want to make sure if you're working with an attorney that they're actually strategizing. They're just thinking about, you know, what are the things that what are your goals? But they're also thinking about it in a broader sense, not just what you're, you know, telling them essentially. Right. So that was a lot. <laughs> so your trust is also going to identify who your family members are. Uh, and the reason why that is, is because a lot of time estates get caught up in court just trying to figure out who's actually related, who's actually an heir, who actually should be benefiting from this um, estate. And so when you identify who your family members are and, you know, state whether or not there may be others or you intentionally left somebody out or whatever it is, um, that actually helps to solidify your decision making and it eliminates question. It eliminates the need for a judge to decide. Remember what I said? If it's vague and there's, you know, something to be, you know, wondered, <laughs> then they might, someone might, <clears throat> excuse me, someone might try to bring it into court and say, hey, I think there was a mistake here. So we don't want that. We want to be as clear as possible when it comes to um, to identifying your family. So, you know, who your children are, your adopted children. I don't know if we, I spoke about this. I think I spoke about this before, but your adopted children, legally adopted children get treated as your children. If they're not legally adopted, like stepchildren or or anything similar or somebody who was like a child to you, they're not treated as your children. So you have to specifically state that in your, you know, in your estate document. So you may not name them as your children, but you may say, listen, this person is like a child to me and I'd like to leave X, Y, Z to them so that it's clear, you know, that you were clear on what your relationship was and what you would like to do. All right. And that also helps your trustee to understand like who your family members are and, you know, how to basically treat everyone and how to continue uh, your wishes according to what your trust says. Um, then there are some things that we talk about, like, OK, what happens if you get sick? Like, you know, who how is the trustee supposed to handle these assets if you're sick and you need to be taken care of? Um, so there's like a whole section about that <laughs> and like who to continue to take care of and what needs to be continued and what needs to be ended and how should you be cared for and all that stuff. All that is contained in your trust. Then we talk about what happens, obviously, if you die, because that's one of the whole purposes of the trust. So how do we continue to manage these assets? Um, should something be sold? Should something be distributed? Should it be held in trust? Like that's a whole um, section of the trust. And that's one of the very probably more robust, more detailed and technical parts, because we really have to make sure that we get that right. Right. <laughs> we don't want there to be any confusion there. Um, and then when you're married, 
there are distinctions where um, we want to know what happens when one spouse dies and we want to know what happens when both spouse, spouses die. And if you guys have, you know, pre- prior marriages or um, separate children, that tends to get a little bit complex. So there's a lot of sort of thought and um, strategy that goes into designing that section of the trust uh, because it typically, you know, makes a big impact if something goes one way um, or another, right? Uh, without boring you with all of those details. Um, And we also want to make sure that, you know, within your trust, there are sections where we talk about restricting creditors, where we talk about um, different strategies for your tax professional to be able to avoid taxes or make certain decisions that will allow them the flexibility to avoid taxes so that, you know, um, if there's an opportunity for you to do that, remember I said avoid, not evade, (laughs) avoid taxes legally. Um, If there's an opportunity to do that, you know, your trust allows for that language because the last thing we want to do is for you to like lose out on all these tax savings or like a strategy that could be used just because your trust is too rigid. So there has to be some flexibility there and specific language around um, how your your um, trust allows your estate to treat um, taxes. And, um, you know, typically, how, how would you like things to sort of be handled? Um, if you have your assets staying in trust for your children, um, we want to know, like, how should that be handled? How do you want your children to experience this um, inheritance? Um, how do you want your children to be protected for not having all this money come to them at once, you know, or giving them a period of time where they can sort of get comfortable with receiving, you know, or have a certain set of instructions um, as how they should, you know, treat assets or treat businesses or treat real estate. So that's a really um, meaty area of your trust as well. Um, We talk about uh, real estate property in particular, if you have a lot or if you have um, real estate that needs to be treated in a particular type of way. We definitely talk about that um, in your trust. And then another thing that um, sometimes people don't think about, which I find like a lot of clients have difficulty with, is if uh, no one is around to receive your assets. So say, for instance, if your children are not around, which is always a a hard thing to sort of talk about, um, then what happens? Who would you like to receive your benefits? Or, you know, whomever that beneficiary is, who you'd like to have and benefit from your estate, what if they're not around? Um, And so we need to have a series of alternates for that. And And sometimes it includes, you know, charities and other businesses or, you know, further removed friends and things of that nature. But it's something, you know, to talk about. And it's something that we definitely include because um, essentially we don't want to create a plan for you that just halts or fails at some point because we didn't think about, you know, those alternatives. Um, We also talk about having checks and balances in place. Uh, What if the trustee, the person who you selected to be that trusted person, what if they do something wrong? How do you go about protecting the trust and protecting the beneficiaries? So there's language in in the trust that should speak to that as well. So these are some of the, you know, hot button (laughs) topics that we have um, in these trusts. Again, I showed you, you know, they tend to be pretty hefty. And this is like for a single person. So now when you have a married person who has separate children or um, all these um, complex assets, we kind of need to get a little bit more creative. So it tends to be um, really robust. So I hope I hope this sort of helped you get insight into, you know, the inner workings of a trust and why why is it such a um, 
complicated thing. I mean, it's complicated and it's not, right? I don't want you to think it's complicated in the sense that it's over your head and, you know, I'm not, you know, equipped to have a trust. No, you are. Um, you just want to make sure that, uh, you know, you work with the right um, individuals or the right, you know, firms to help you achieve that. Um, and it's not just for the uber rich. It's also for you and me who, you know, just want to make sure what we work hard for is preserved for our loved ones and that we are also taken care of if something, you know, if we're not able to control our assets later on. So thank you for listening. Um, I hope this was helpful for you and I will see you in the next episode.